0: Well, Chad was up here a moment ago talking about uh, the wedding. Yesterday I was at the hardware store and I was uh, doing some work around the house and kind of dressed for that sort of activity and I had to pick something up and I was at the hardware store and um, happened to be wearing a shirt that just like an old shirt said Bethel Church on it and the lady at the checkout says, Hey. I hear the pastor of that church is getting married. (laughs) The title of my message today is Multiply Thyself. Multiply Thyself. And I know summer is uh, not a time for schoolwork. And it's out and we don't necessarily want to think about mathematics, but I'd like to uh, begin with a very quick mathematical review of the difference between addition and multiplication. And I have a little graph here that that, uh, shows it very simply. This is addition. One plus one plus one plus plus one equals four. Now, if you start with one and you end with four, you feel pretty good about that. We're, we like addition. Addition's good. It's better than subtraction, and it's certainly better in any church than division. But it's not as good as multiplication. Multiplication uh, yields much better results, so that if you begin with one, and if that one, rather than simply adding one, could somehow add an additional one. And in the doing of that, to create a culture of those doing what he did, now you have a much bigger number. So that 1 plus 2 times 2 times 2 is 12, and 12 is better than 4. And if that continues, notice that with addition, 4 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 is 7. Hey, we're glad for 7. Praise the Lord for 7. But it's not nearly as good as 12 times 2 times 2 times 2 is 96. And you can imagine if that continues, the vast difference between addition and multiplication. This is the power of of multiplying. And today I want to address one part of our vision statement, which is that we want to make multiple disciples through multiple sites and multiple partnerships. I want to focus in on multiply disciples and to talk about why multiplying is far better than addition, subtraction, and uh, division. And so, what I'm going to do today, and we are in Acts, uh, the series continues in Acts, I could turn to the life of Jesus, frankly, and, and, and speak basically the same point uh, and to talk about. Uh, Jesus and his 12, so he went from 1 to 12, and those 12 went times, 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 times in their life. And uh, I've got a fly bugging me here. I knew we shouldn't have those high-deaf cameras because you could never see it in a standard deaf, but yeah. So, anyway, uh, Jesus' life, of course, was a life of multiplication. But we're not preaching a series out of Matthew or Luke, we are in the book of Acts. So let's see how this multiplying of disciples uh, played out, and I want to talk specifically with three generations of this, Barnabas, Paul, and Timothy, and then finally to tell you my own story uh, from my own life of how uh, somebody multiplied themselves in me and, and through me. So... We begin with Barnabas, and we are in Acts chapter 4. And this, this message, by the way, we're, we're more surveying than one passage that we're digging deep on. We begin in Acts chapter 4, and we're introduced to uh, a very beloved individual in the story. Look at verse 36. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Stop there. We're introduced to a guy by the name of Barnabas, and we learn a lot about him in these two verses. Notice, first of all, his name. His given name was not Barnabas. It was what? Joseph. Okay, so he was Joe around the church. Very common name, an Old Testament name. But the apostles rename him the name Barnabas, and the text gives us the translation of that, which means son of encouragement or son of consolation is another translation of it. So let me ask the question here uh, at the beginning. How, if your name is Joe, how do you get... The nickname, Son of Encouragement. How do you come about to being known for that? And it's kind of an obvious answer. This is a guy who the quality of his life and the quality of the character of his interactions with people was such that they didn't think Joe was a befitting name for him. He was so outstanding in the encouraging of others that even the apostles decided, you know what, Joe's not the right name for him. I can call him Joe, it's his given name, but this guy, we let's rename him. He is so good at encouragement. Now remember, there were 3,000 believers the very first day of the church. And after that, people were added constantly to the role. So this is a church, this is a mega church from day one. There's thousands of people. There are only 12 apostles. So for those 12 to know somebody personally means that that individual in some way has distinguished themselves. And it was the apostles who renamed him. It wasn't his mom. It wasn't his wife. Oh, you're wonderful. We think you're great. No, it is the apostles themselves who say, this guy's more of a Barnabas than a Joe. We even see a spirit of generosity in the passage here before us. It says that he had, he owned a field. And he decided to sell the field and to give all of the profits of the field to the apostles for ministry and for, for helping the poor and, and all the rest. And so we see in this guy, uh, Barnabas, he's, he's doing it again. You can almost hear the apostles when he shows up and drops the bag of money in front of them. Oh, Barnabas, there you go again. You are a Barnabas, are you not? A son of encouragement. Thank you, Barnabas. You are a blessing to all of us. So maybe we could stop right now and, and just ask the question: If people that know us were to give us a nickname, what might they what might they say? In fact, it'd be kind of fun on a weekend. we declare, "This is a weekend. you don't call anybody by their real name. They are son or daughter of something." And so you meet one another, "Hey, daughter of kindness, "Hello, son of mercy." It'd be kind of fun, wouldn't it? No. Okay? (laughs) You're all like, you are son of long sermons, so you better get going. (laughs) Well, you're no Barnabas then, is all I can say, if you're thinking that. Okay, so there's Barnabas. That's what we're told about him. The next time he pops up in the story is in Acts 9. And uh, if you have read through Acts recently, Acts 9, that kind of jumps out at you because... Acts 9 is the chapter where the Apostle Paul becomes a Christian. And I'm not going to retell the whole story. I actually did uh, so last week. But just to remind you that the Apostle Paul was persecutor of the church, hater of the gospel, hater of Jesus. He's on his way to Damascus. And Jesus uh, reveals himself to Paul. And Paul realizes, you know what? He is who the Christians claim that he is. He is Savior, resurrected, and Lord of all. And Paul becomes a Christian. His name changes as well. He goes from Saul to Paul, the Apostle Paul. And what happened is he uh, begins immediately to preach in the synagogues. The Jews are like, what has happened? This guy now is, 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 uh, he's tormenting us. And they want to kill him. And Paul escapes in a basket out of the city. He makes his way to Jerusalem. And we pick up the story now in verse 26 with what happened. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him. And how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now you can see, can't you, why... The Christians in Jerusalem were not uh, all that eager to welcome... Paul in their midst. I mean, what better way to wipe out the church than to act like you actually are a disciple and to infiltrate amongst them? And as you're doing it, you're writing down the names of all the people that you see. Okay, there's uh, there's uh, Pete. He's uh, one of the main guys, and there's John, and there's James, and and these are the the other people. And then in one fell swoop, one night in the middle of the night, to bring in the troops and to and to and to arrest them and to wipe them out. And so the disciples are fearful of what his real intent is. They don't believe that he's actually a disciple. And even the apostles, Peter, James, and John, and the others, did not welcome Paul amongst them. So we could ask then the question, well, what would it take, or who would come to Paul's aid in a moment like this? I mean, if even the, Peter, James, and John are not doing it, it's going to take somebody very special, isn't it? And indeed now, guess who does it? It's that old son of encouragement guy. Barnabas sees in Paul potential. And he sees a calling. And he sees God at work in his life. And the one guy that believed in Paul when nobody else did was this guy Barnabas. Barnabas was a multiplier. Barnabas was somebody who saw past the outward into the heart and would believe in them. Now, we could ask the question, can't we, I think, what would have happened if Barnabas would not have done this? Humanly speaking, we know God is sovereign and and he can do whatever he wants, but humanly speaking, what if Barnabas would not have seen Paul and seen the way the other disciples were treating him and thought to himself, you know what, I think this guy's legit. And I know there's baggage, and I know there's concerns, but, boy, I really think somebody needs to help this guy out. And you know what? That somebody is me. What if Barnabas would not have believed in Paul? What if Barnabas would not have leveraged his own credibility and gone before the apostles and said, this is a guy, you need to welcome him. I'll vouch for him. When you think about all the things that Paul, his ministry, meant and did... I mean, this world is a different place and the church is a different place and the New Testament is a different New Testament. If you pull Paul out of the story, he was the apostle to the Gentiles. He wrote more books of the New Testament than any other writer. And if Barnabas would not have been the agent that God used to introduce Paul into ministry and into leadership in the church, this is a different story, isn't it? So... You know, how many people talk about Barnabas? We talk about Paul all the time. But to realize it was this somewhat obscure individual who played such a pivotal role in investing and believing, multiplying himself is what I'm saying today in the life and the ministry of Paul that allowed Paul to become Paul and to be the blessing that he was. To all the church. So it's hard, to, it's hard to overstate the impact that Paul had, and therefore it's hard to overstate how important Barnabas was in that story. So I see this son of encouragement tapping Paul on the shoulder and saying, You know what? I believe in you, and I believe your story. I believe Jesus really did appear to you. And let me see if I can help you become who I think God maybe wants you to become. And here's one of the principles, and we're going to begin to build these principles of a life that multiplies itself in other people. Here's one, and it's a key one. Multipliers identify future multipliers. Multipliers identify future multipliers. Their radar is up for people that have a calling from God and a gifting from God. Now, here's the good news. Every Christian has a calling and a gifting from God. So in a way you could say there isn't one single Christian who isn't worthy of our love and attention and investment. But multipliers are people that are are on the lookout for people that they themselves can invest themselves in. And they see that investment as being a life lived to the glory of God, a life of legacy, a future and that's one of the reasons I think that so few Christians do this is that, well, we're lazy is part of it, I think. But there is a selfishness that all of us have. And so perhaps we see, you know, we see somebody and we're like, man, somebody ought to, you know, really bring that guy along. There's a, there's a woman who's got some potential to do something. But we think to ourselves, I don't know that it's going to benefit me to be the one to do it. To spend the time. In some ways, it's like my recent Reformation study tour, and I have not spent hardly any time in Europe, especially Western Europe. So, as we're driving around, you're driving into these towns and villages, and you have all these little bitty homes, they're very quaint, very cute, and then you have these giant cathedrals in these towns. And they, they just stand out, they look out of place because everything else is small, and then you have these huge cathedrals in the town. And Dr. Lutzer, who led the tour, one of the things that he said to me, it it stood out to me. He said, you know, they would build these cathedrals by hand. And to this day, even you walk in and you think, how did they possibly build these things without lifts and cranes and all the things that we have today? They built them by hand. And it would take them a hundred years or more to build them. Which means that the people that laid the foundations of those buildings they knew they would never worship there. It would never benefit them personally. Who were they building this cathedral for? They were building it for their children. They were building it for the future generation of that village. And they invested themselves in something that they would not personally benefit from. And that stuck in my mind. And I think it's an apt illustration of of the kind of spirit that it takes to be somebody who is going to leave a legacy, is going to multiply their life uh, in, in the lives of other people and bear fruit through them. It takes a kind of vision for the future and a care for what comes next, even if I don't benefit personally from it, that still does it, that lays the foundation stones by investing themselves in people, identifying them, and being willing to engage in them. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, uh, who was himself a multiplier for sure, said this, The righteous man is the one who lives for the next generation. The righteous man is the one who lives for the next generation. And that's, what, that's the spirit of multiplying. Did, did Barnabas know that Paul would be the great Gentile apostle? No! No! Did he know that he was going to write all the books of the New Testament that he did? No. Did he know that Paul would probably, we believe from history, preach the gospel to Caesar himself in Rome? He had no idea of any of those things. All he saw was a young man who wanted to serve the Lord and had a heart and passion to do so. And in his heart with that kind of, you know what, I'm living my life for other people. It, it pricked his heart and he thought, I'm going to go uh, to bat for this guy. I'm going to invest myself in Paul. Now, as a side note, one of the things that our church has been doing the last couple years, you may not be aware of, but it is along this line, uh, it's called the Barnabas Project. And the Barnabas Project is our attempt to identify and to equip and to train Men in our church that we see potential in, and so uh, over the last couple of years, I was told we've we've taken over a hundred men through the Barnabas Project, and they are taught doctrine, they are taught some ministry, basic kind of pastoral kind of shepherding skills they're given some opportunities to use those and it's not perfect and we're refining it and the, the third year is better than the first year and the fifth year we're better than the third year but this is something that that we are doing it's aptly named the barnabas project don't you think i think so now that we know the son of encouragement project and the desire from it is to is to bring men along in their growth and in their development and to give them opportunities it actually has spawned a female version. Some of the women were like, well, what about us? And so, uh, better attitude than that. They did it. Very godly attitude, as I like to say. Uh, and so we began a, a ministry called Women of Influence, or some of us affectionately call it Women Under the Influence, but Women of Influence, <laughs> which is seeking to do largely the same thing for, for women in the church. And we've got a long way to go with this. It is very imperfect, but it's our attempt to do what we see Barnabas doing with Paul and in a moment what we see Paul doing with Timothy. wanted you to be aware of that. Now, this message is not so much about what the church is doing. And if you leave today and you think to yourself, Oh, that church needs to do more in identifying and training up leaders and and bringing them along. You've missed the point in this because the real purpose of this message is to say that we have a secret weapon in this and that secret weapon is you. And you're like, that's right. And somebody needs to tap my shoulder and see my potential. You're going to wait a long time. You're going to wait a long time. We're starting to get this going. You know, one of the things we notice about Barnabas, there's no mention of anybody investing in Barnabas. He got it going. He saw himself. He he didn't wait for somebody to tap him. He began the multiplying process. And here we are in in our community and in our church, and we have some of that going on. But largely, for us to have a culture of multiplying here, it is not going to be uh, the Barnabas Project that's going to do it. It is going to be the people of our church, our church family, having a mindset that says I am on the lookout for people and individuals that I can invest myself in and to see myself as a Barnabas, not a Paul or not a Timothy and to get this thing going and to overcome that we have to overcome selfishness, right? Because we come to church and we think I hope somebody ministers to me. And when I leave, and nobody did, I think, well, this was a waste of time. I'm glad Christ didn't come with that spirit. He came to give, as we just celebrated, and gave himself. And this is where it's hard for us. And I'll tell you, it's hard for me. The things that I'm sharing here, I don't necessarily, I don't think I've done particularly well here. And I have a lot to grow in, but I just, I know It's true. And a healthy church, I skipped this at the beginning, sorry guys, what I want to say is that healthy churches and healthy Christians multiply themselves. Let me say it again, healthy Christians and healthy churches multiply themselves, they reproduce themselves, and we want to do that. And to do that, we need cathedral builders, people to get it going, to lay the stones, to influence the future. Now, how do we do this? And How we do that, I want to look at the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Okay? Paul and Timothy. So, generationally, it begins with Barnabas. Barnabas invested in Paul. Now we find Paul doing the same in the life of many people, but just to look at Timothy. So look at chapter 16 with me, Acts 16, and let's look at this relationship between Paul and Timothy, beginning in verse 1. Here's what it says. Paul a Greek. So enter into the story now, the much beloved Timothy. And we find here some background on Timothy that you may not realize. First of all, his mother was Jewish. His father was Greek. And right away we see now that Timothy was a guy who had some baggage. Why do I say that? Because the Old Testament forbid a Jewish woman from marrying a Gentile. And yet. Timothy's mother, and we don't know why or the circumstance of this, her, she disobeyed the Old Testament and she married a Greek man. Now, that's not the end of the story. The rest of the story is this. Paul comes through that area on a previous trip and he preaches the gospel and probably Timothy's mother, we know from 2 Timothy 1, her name was Eunice. Timothy or yeah, Timothy's mother becomes a Christian. We also know from 2nd Timothy 1 that while, that, that she was a very devout spiritual woman. In fact, Paul says that your mother, your grandmother and your mother taught you the scriptures from infancy. And so Timothy was raised in a very spiritually rich environment where he learned and no doubt memorized much of the Old Testament and that, that motherly influence in his life spiritually prepared his heart to receive the gospel, which indeed he did. Now, as a side note, I want to say this to the parents that are here. You are, by calling, inherently multipliers. If you are a parent, you are a multiplier. Now, yes, we've multiplied, we've reproduced. That's not what I'm getting at. Congratulations. Uh, What I'm getting at is the spiritual multiplication that you represent. And that can be to the negative and to the positive. If you live for the things of the world and if your priorities are uh, not the things of God, you are going to multiply that spirit in your children and in your grandchildren. At the same time, you have the opportunity to be a Eunice and to invest in your children in a way that can multiply that spiritual heritage in them and in your grandchildren. And you can decide which of those you want to be. And most of it comes down to, by the way, your own spiritual walk, not the things that you say. It's the things that they see in you that will be most influential. But Timothy saw in his mother Eunice a woman who was a follower of Jesus, who loved the God of the Old Testament, and it prepared his heart to become a disciple. In fact, the text says that he was a disciple prior to Paul's arrival. And he already had developed a reputation amongst the brothers that was very positive. So we see then Paul following the model of of, of Barnabas. Barnabas saw Paul lots of baggage. He wasn't the perfect candidate. He, you know, participated in the martyrdom of Stephen, persecuted the church. He saw past that and said, "I see the heart. I believe in this guy. I'm going to go for it." Paul comes into. Uh, Timothy's world, and he sees in Timothy a guy that's got baggage. He comes from a, the marriage of a Jewish mother and a Gentile father. All the people in the area know that his dad was a Greek, which means that he was not circumcised, also in violation of Old Testament law. And so, what does Paul do? He could have said, you know, I kind of pass on this guy. I, I need a, I need, for my assistant, I need a more perfect fit. But that's not what Paul did. Maybe it's because Barnabas didn't do that to him. Paul said, I like his heart, and I believe in this guy. And we can take care of the circumcision matter. And they did, which says a lot about Timothy, I think, as well. It's no small matter. Uh, and so you see then this beautiful kind of mentoring and, and, and coaching and brotherly relationship develop between the Apostle Paul now and his assistant, Timothy. How did Paul multiply himself in and Timothy? And, and these are things that all multipliers have to do, and let's just see what he did. Here's the first thing, is that he instructed him. He instructed him. Paul taught Timothy. How did he teach him? Well, we don't know that much, but no doubt as they walked along and as they traveled and as they ministered together, they discussed life and ministry, doctrine, gospel, Christ, all these things. Paul was equipping Timothy uh, to serve and was teaching him. In fact, you can look at 1 and 2 Timothy, which are letters from Paul to Timothy. And what we find there are examples of the kind of investment that Paul was making in Timothy. Remember to do that. Don't forget to do that. This is what you ought to prioritize. Don't worry about these things. Stand up to those people. I know you're young, but give them an example. And on and on, if you read through First and Second Timothy, those are the kinds of things that he's saying to them. Instructing him. Equipping him. By the way, I think, again, it says a lot about Timothy. For this to work, you've got to have somebody that has a learner's spirit. Somebody that's willing to, to learn from somebody who's done it for a while. Can you imagine Timothy if he's like, you know what, Paul, you're old. You're, you're out of date. I know how to do this. Just get out of my way. Let me show you. You know, that, that kind of a spirit. That wouldn't have worked, would it? Timothy had a learner spirit, Paul had a teaching spirit, and Paul instructed a a gifted learner. And Timothy became the man uh, that we know and love to this day. So if you are, and, and, and some of you right now are thinking to yourself, possibly, well, this is an interesting message and I see it from the Bible, but I don't know about my part in this. Every one of us ought to be a multiplier. And even when it comes to instructing, Certainly in ministry kind of stuff, it applies. But think of all of life and the opportunity, men, uh, if you are a husband, to talk to people who are about to become husbands (laughs) and to help them understand all the blessings of (laughs) welcoming a woman into your life. I'm all ears right now. How about just what it means to be a man? Is that needed in our culture today? How are young men going to learn to be men, to be masculine, spiritual men? As J.C. Ryle says in his book, Thoughts to Young Men... Young men uh, become mature men by standing next to them. Do we need that in our culture today? Do we need that in our church today? Absolutely. And ladies, the same for you. Older women teaching the younger women is another biblical principle. Paul writes to Timothy, you know, teach men who can teach other men what I'm telling you. And this is a very important reality in a church that is healthy. In a congregation that is healthy, there's a, there's, a, there's a Barnabas kind of spirit where I am willingly looking for opportunities and people to, to bless. And it's not like you're like, hey, I'm Paul. You want to be my Timothy? Don't do that. Just be yourself and build relationships with people where you can possibly invest in them. And there's so many ways to do that and so many categories where it's needed. Here's the second thing we see here is opportunities look at verse 4 as they went on their way through the cities they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in jerusalem and i don't have time for this but there had been a council and they had made decisions about doctrine and so they're traveling now and passing that on to the various churches so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily Now, what I want you to see here, and I don't want to make too big a deal about a pronoun, but notice that it says that they delivered to them the decisions. I would not expect that if I was reading it. I would expect to see that uh, they went on their way and Paul delivered to them the decision. Because Paul, Paul's Paul. Paul's an apostle. Paul's the man. But it says that they delivered, and by that, I believe that Timothy had a role. Paul was giving Timothy an opportunity to do some things that an apostle would do. Now, why would he do that? It's because there's a principle here that all of us know, and that is the way that we grow and the way that we develop is that we do things... Just outside of our ability that grow us and stretch us, give us confidence, allow us to become more than we currently are. They minister together. And I can just see how this would happen, can't you? They get to Derby or one of these cities and Paul says to Timothy, hey, Timothy, why don't you, uh, why don't you share the news this time? And Timothy's like, really? Like, yeah, okay. And so Timothy's like, mm-hmm. And maybe he stumbled and fumbled, and who knows if he did it very well. But he communicated it one way or the other. They get on the, and they're walking down the path. And Timothy says, you know, how did I do? And Paul says, well, you know, I'll tell you what. It was, it was, it was good. It was good. Now, I, you know, here's some things to think about. And maybe when we get to the next town, you can maybe clarify this a little bit. That I think that would be helpful. And Timothy's like, you're giving me another opportunity to do it. He says, "Yeah, I'd like to see you do it. Why don't you give it another go? All right. I think, I think you got it in you. Really? You think I got it in me? I'll, I'll do the best I can. These are normal people. We read these stories, we're like, oh, they were stiff. Ah, no, they're normal people. This is the way that it goes, right? And so you can see how this would have happened. A huge part of multiplying ourselves is giving others opportunity. And I'm going to share about my own story in that in just a second. Uh, but I think that this is so important. In fact, notice in the story, actually I'll just tell you the story, they ministered together for a while, and the list of cities include Galatia, Mysia, Troas, Philippi, and Berea, Acts 17. Then they get to Athens, and Paul sends Timothy on his own to Thessalonica. Now imagine that conversation. Hey, Timothy, you know what? I'm going to be here in Athens. Why don't you go and take care of this matter in Thessalonica? And Timothy's like, I can't do that. He says, I think you can. Really? I think you need to do it. Timothy walking with fear and trepidation all the way to Thessalonica, hoping he's not going to blow it, wondering how it's going to go. But this is how Paul brought Timothy along, and then in the rest of the story, we see that Paul that Timothy goes to Corinth, and we studied Corinth not so long ago. Corinth was a was a huge city; it was a big church, and there were tons of problems there. And yet Timothy had risen to a place where his abilities were able to handle that. Later he goes to Ephesus, major city in the ancient day. There he is ministering on his own in Ephesus. And so we see the trajectory of Timothy's career and ministry. And a lot of that was Paul giving him opportunity to do it. And that's the way we grow. And so here's the, here's the point that I'm getting at for us as a congregation. You maybe are in some kind of ministry role or whatever it is, and you've been doing it a long time, you love it, and you think, you know what, this is my thing. And nobody else gets to do it. Nobody else has the opportunity to be blessed in the doing of it like you're blessed in the doing of it. How about looking for opportunities to bring people along like somebody probably did with you, frankly, and allow them to grow and allow them to... To do things. How's that sound? And you're like, you know what? He can do all of it. I'm out of here. No, that's not the spirit of it. It's, and I had somebody come up to me afterwards and say, uh, last night, and said, so you mean that we got to quit? I'm like, no, I'm not saying you quit. But you allow other people to participate. And by that, we are equipping and building up the church and letting people use their gifts as we do it. All right. The last principle of multiplying that we see here, that I at least that I want to highlight, is affirmation. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. 1 Timothy 1 2, my true child in the faith. 2 Timothy 1 2, my beloved child. 2 Timothy 1 3, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. We see in the language of Paul to Timothy, there is tons of encouragement, tons of affirmation that I love you, I believe in you. Now men, listen to me a second. Because I think we struggle with this the most. Men will have relationships where we do things together. This is my friend that I go to the ball game with. This is my friend that I golf with. This is my friend I work on the car with. And we have these things and we kind of are side by side, right? And when it's done, we go back to our places and we think, well, that was kind of a nice time. I wonder what he thinks about me. Not very often do men in particular affirm to one another the value that we have regarding our relationship. And the women said, we're not very good at that, are we? And so men float around in these questioning kind of relationships based upon certain activities that we do together, but we never feel the encouragement of affirmation from one another that I value you and I care for you. And I view this as a friendship. You know, are we BFF or not? Yes or no? And yet we look at masculine leadership in the Apostle Paul and we see a freedom of expression between Paul and Timothy specifically where they are affirming the way that they feel towards one another. Can the church use a giant dose of affirmation? I mean, who here wouldn't walk out of here feeling like a million bucks if after this service... Somebody comes up and says, you know what? What Pastor Steve is true, and I just want you to know, I highly value our relationship. I've never said that to you, but I just want you to know, you are special to me. We walk out of here, right? Affirmation, it's the power of encouragement. And to that end, I want to tell you my own story, very quickly, about being a Timothy. I view myself as a Timothy. And the way that I became a Timothy goes back to college. When I was in college, I I I went to college. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was into some other things. There were some stirrings of of ministry desire. But the summer after my sophomore year, I traveled on a summer college sports ministry team. And this team, we went to camps, we went to churches, we did skits, we did sports demonstrations and all that there you go. That's me at 20 right there. The Alive Team. You see the t-shirt? We sold t-shirts. And uh, it was a great summer. That's Camp Gitchy by the way, in the UP of Michigan. So we went to this camp in Indiana. And at the camp in Indiana, I met a guy by the name of Kimber Kaufman. And this is a picture actually from the summer, 1988. Uh, I was 20. He was 30. He had just started this church on the north side of Indianapolis. Uh, he was a was college basketball player, and so we played basketball. We just kind of hit it off. And at the end of the summer, or at the end of the week, he says to me, he says, what are you doing next summer? I said, I don't know. He goes, why don't you, why don't you come be an intern at our, at our church? I just started this church. I'm like, eh, okay, whatever. And we were on to the next camp and all that. Well, the year goes on, and I get thinking about the next summer, and I'm like, hey, what about that guy that, that wanted me to maybe come and be an intern? So I made contact, and things worked out so that the next summer, the summer of 1989, I was an intern at this church. And this was my first kind of experience of this sort of thing. And you would say, well, Kim probably brought you along slowly, didn't he? No, he didn't. I got there, and he said, all right you're going to preach. I was there 12 weeks. He says, you're preaching eight of them, seven Sunday nights. And one Sunday morning I preached. I had not had a homiletics class. I hadn't. And as I tell the story, by the way, I want you to be thinking about identifying multipliers, encouragement, affirmation, uh, opportunities, instruction. Okay. Be thinking about this. So I begin to preach. There's a picture of me, by the way, uh, in 1989, preaching at the church, look at all the people that came out to hear me. It's amazing. It was, it was only 125 people in the church, so, you know, whatever that means. Uh, in fact, I just remember that summer that Kimber, he had quite a bit of time, flexibility. We just spent so much time together. I mean, I just kind of went with him everywhere he went, uh, learning a lot in the process. In fact, I remember the very first pastoral call I ever made in my life. Uh, It was early in this summer internship and this this family he had just graduated from uh, Notre Dame law school had moved there visited the church And uh, we were going to visit with them at their apartment And so we pull into the apartment and kimber says to me. Let me do all the talking Which I was more than happy to do because frankly, I didn't have anything to say I didn't know what I was doing So we go in there and the wife brings little appetizers. We sit down We're kind of chewing and talking a little bit. I'm just sitting there and I remember the couch. It was a high-back couch And I knew I wasn't supposed to say anything anyway. So I just sat down and I remember just kind of leaning my head against the back of that couch. Next thing I know, Kimber's shaking me. I woke up and I said, did I fall asleep? He said, yeah, you slept for like two hours. I slept for two hours on my very first ever pastoral call. that should have ended my internship right there, right? I mean, seriously, couldn't Kimmer have looked at that and said, you know what, this kid's a washout. There's no hope for him. You can't sleep when you go visit people. You've got to love people enough to stay awake at least, right? I was green, but I was, l- I was learning. So I ended up going to seminary. And after seminary, I got hired back at College Park. And... Uh, I spent five years there. Kimber was one of these guys. He liked to preach. He liked people. Everything else in the church, it wasn't really on his radar so much. And there was only two pastors in the church, Kimber and I, so a lot of that fell to me. I was the worship pastor, the youth pastor, but then I did a ton of other stuff. The church was growing tremendously. We're building and adding on. I'm leading fundraisers. I'm leading building expansions. I mean, this is all way out of my pay grade, way over my head, but Kimber believed I could do anything. And he trusted me and he just said, okay, you take care of that and you take care of that. And I knew that I had a guy that he believed in me and it inspired me. So in 1997, oh, one other thing I wanted to say. Is that uh, one of the ways that he believed in me? He would oftentimes tell people, and I would have them, they would come to me and tell me this. They'd say, You know, Kimber says you're the next, next Chuck Swindoll. Now, when you're 26, you're like, Oh, really? I'm not the next Chuck Swindoll. But I tell you, it's great having somebody in your life that thinks you are, isn't it? Somebody that believes in you. It inspired me. So in 1997, when this church in Northwest Indiana was looking for a senior pastor, they contacted College Park. College Park was blowing the doors out, and they're like, hey, who do you know? And there's 500 people in the church. It's a big church. Who do you know that can handle that? No surprise at all that Kimber says, Steve DeWitt can do that. He believed in me. And so we get to the... uh, my last my last day at college park they had a special service for me, and in this service they uh, they had a big party. hold on hold on they had a big party and my my Paul exhorted me. And you see the passage, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Preach the word, preach the word. And you see this other picture here? He had me sit on a chair. The whole congregation's out here. And he just yelled at me, basically. <laughs> exhorted me there. And that, to me, is a picture of our relationship. He was Paul. I was Timothy. And I liked being Timothy. I was totally okay with that. And now you're right. I'm wearing the same shirt. (laughs) Almost 15 years ago to the day, actually, from that service is today. And uh, I thought to myself, I was in the shower getting ready last night. I'm like, hey, I think I might... Do I still have that shirt? And I got digging through the closet. This shirt's 15 years old. (laughs) And it still fits. So... Yeah, Kimber was a multiplier. And whatever God has done through me here, and we'll find out what Jesus thinks about it someday. At the very least, it's fair to say it was his seeing in me way back at the camp when I'm, t- I'm 20 years old and him seeing in me something that made him think, you know what, I want to pour, I'm going to pour my life into that guy right there. And for that to go over years of time, what a difference that has made in me. And through then me, to whatever degree, here in Northwest Indiana. What if Barnabas wouldn't have done what he did with Paul? What if Paul wouldn't have done what he did with Timothy? Think about in your own life, people that believed in you, equipped you, gave you opportunities, and how that has blessed you tremendously. And we can say, hey, isn't that great? But the challenge is now to be a multiplier ourselves and to let that multiplication go on. And I don't know exactly what this may mean in the church. I'm just kind of throwing it out there and we'll see what God does with it. But healthy churches and healthy Christians multiply themselves. Affirming, giving opportunities, instructing, and loving those that we are investing in. Let's stand for prayer.